This is The Guardian. Today, with the country's most popular politician behind bars, what does it mean for a free and fair election in Pakistan? For the last two decades, Pakistanis have been able to vote and elect their leaders without the interruption of a military coup. Democracy is still something of a fledgling concept, and so general elections are a big deal. But as the country heads to the polls today, it doesn't feel like business as usual. If you talk to people who make and sell party flags, if you speak to printing presses who make banners and posters, they'll tell you they've done less than half the business they do in usual election season. Candidates are hosting fewer outdoor gatherings for supporters. I would say there have been fewer rallies on the streets in Pakistan and the major cities in the constituencies. You see these trucks that are usually driving up and down, festooned with campaign posters, blaring music, supporters chanting slogans. All of that has been noticeably quieter. Mareen Zara Malik is an editor in Pakistan who has covered multiple elections. But this one isn't like the others. There are less TV adverts. Recently, one of my reporters was out in the field covering this constituency in Rawalpindi, standing in front of Lal Haveli, which is this iconic mansion that has been the centre of activity in that constituency. And we had pre-written a script for her to go out and read. She called me and she said, you know, we kind of have to change the whole story because there are not many people here. There's no sounds, there's no colour. What do I do? So that's the kind of mood ahead of this election. Are voters subdued or suppressed? And where is Pakistan's all-powerful army in all of this? From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, as Pakistan heads to the polls, who is really calling the shots? Marian Zara Malik, you're a reporter and editor based in Islamabad covering Pakistan and its politics. After a lot of rescheduling and uncertainty, the country is finally headed to the polls for its 13th general election. How would you describe how people are feeling about this particular election? I would say that it's been relatively quiet. It's been a lukewarm race. I think that people are generally tired. They're lethargic. There isn't the kind of excitement around this election that we've seen in the past. 
democratic norms have continued to deteriorate in Pakistan. Imran Khan, the popular former prime minister, arguably the most popular politician in the country, is behind bars. He faces dozens, if not hundreds, of legal cases. Him and other senior leaders of his PTI party are barred from running in elections. It's been a different election in a way that the most popular party in the country is completely sidelined from the process. The country of more than 230 million people, of which 128 million are eligible to vote, is set to elect a new prime minister in a race that's expected to be a contest between three main parties. Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz, Pakistan Tahrik Insaf and Pakistan People's Party. And so, against that backdrop, who is expected to win today? I think most people that you would speak to today, whether it's journalists or it's independent analysts or even other party leaders, would say that the front runner in this election is Nawaz Sharif, who's a three-time former prime minister. And he seems to have an edge over rivals because he now is the chosen one who has the backing of the all-powerful military. And as you said, Nawaz Sharif isn't necessarily Pakistan's most popular politician. It's a title that's widely considered to be Imran Khan's, who was Pakistan's last elected prime minister, who was ousted from government last year, sent to prison. Maureen, can you tell me about the charges against him and the sentences he faces? There's at least four cases. Of course, he faces dozens, if not hundreds of legal cases, but there are four cases in which he's been convicted. Mm. One was a three-year jail term from the election commission last year in August when he was first jailed for his failure to declare assets earned from the sale of state gifts. In a second related case, both him and his wife are convicted for retaining and selling state gifts in a state repository while he was prime minister. Now, both of them have been found guilty of acquiring expensive gifts from the Tosha Khana, which is the Pakistan's state treasury while Imran Khan was in power. In that case, they got 14 years in prison and that particular conviction came with a specific disqualification for Khan from holding public office for 10 years. He's also convicted for revealing official secrets for which he got 10 years last week. And finally, the weirdest case of them all, the court jailed him and his wife for seven years after voiding their marriage and saying that it was un-Islamic and illegal because they didn't fulfill this Islamic requirement of a certain time period passing before a divorced woman can remarry. Right. So he's effectively out of the election race because of all these convictions. And unless they're overturned, he could be out of the next two elections. So Imran Khan is out. He would have been the front runner, but he's in jail, effectively by order of the military. And his political nemesis is being brought back, again, effectively, by order of the military, to potentially become prime minister for the fourth time. Tell me about Nawaz Sharif's comeback. Nawaz Sharif, until recently, was living in self-imposed exile in London, and he was leading his Pakistan Muslim League party from there. He had to leave after 2017 when he was convicted over corruption charges and his term as prime minister was abruptly ended in what was widely considered to be politically motivated cases that had the backing and the sanction of the military. Former Pakistan Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif has been sentenced to 10 years in prison by an anti-corruption court in Pakistan. He's been facing corruption allegations over his family's ownership of four flats in central London. Mr. Sharif ran afoul of the military early on as PM 
by trying to assert control over foreign and defense policy, which is, of course, in Pakistan, a domain jealously guarded by the military. And he also really wanted to improve Pakistan's ties with arch rival India. But he returned to Pakistan this October. And now that Imran Khan has fallen spectacularly out of favor, his fortunes began to change last year. The Islamabad High Court has acquitted PMLN leader Nawaz Sharif in the Al Azizia corruption case. The verdict follows his earlier acquittal. In because in Pakistan, convicted felons can't run for office. That bar was lifted by a senior judiciary in the country. He was acquitted in the cases against him one after the other, and then the field was open for him to run in the election race. And now he's seen as the front runner, he's seen as the hot favorite. The Lion of Punjab, as he so often called, is back with a chance to roar again. Marine, what does Nawaz Sharif offer? What do his party represent for Pakistan? Well, I think for starters, he has a really strong following in Punjab province, which is Pakistan's most populous province, and also the province from where more than half of the seats of the National Assembly are elected. He's been a champion of economic liberalization and free markets. He was also one of the key drivers. It was during his government that Pakistan launched the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor that has seen China invest over $60 billion in infrastructure and energy and agriculture and IT projects in Pakistan in the last decade. He has a lot going for him, but of course, his varying stints as prime minister have also been riddled with accusations of corruption, of course, and of stacking courts with loyalist judges, tinkering with the constitution, doing all kinds of things to shore up his party's power bases. So he does have that history as well. So how did Imran Khan compare? What was his appeal? So I think that his promises of stashing away corrupt politicians, his loud avowals of Islamic piety, his very strong criticism, for example, of American interference in Pakistani politics, of American drone strikes in Pakistan's volatile tribal belt. You know, all of these things, I think, before he became prime minister, won him support among irreconcilably different constituencies across Pakistan. Everyone from young, socially liberal, urban citizens to lower middle class youth from small towns and villages, whether it's in Punjab or the tribal belt, they turned towards this person who they thought was untested and, you know, apparently incorruptible over repeatedly discredited leaders like Sharif. So Khan was the least worst option. This is before he became PM, right? He was promising nothing less than a revolution, you know, mm. or as one would say in his own regrettable metaphor, a tsunami of change. Well, Marine, when we last visited this story on Today in Focus, we looked at Imran Khan's tumultuous relationship with Pakistan's army. Can you remind me of how that's played out? By the time the 2018, the last general elections rolled in, he was no doubt genuinely very popular. And the military, I think by that point, they'd also become quite suspicious of the other main two parties. And so in the weeks ahead of the last vote, we know that the military was accused of propping him up. Journalists were asked to write favorable stories about him. And then, of course, you know, Sharif's ultimate sentencing and he was out of the election. So basically everything was done in the run up to the elections and it was seen to be done by the military, which was backing Khan. There was genuine popularity, no doubt, but also he got that support from the military, which brought him into power. But that didn't last, did it? So his ouster in April 
2022 is widely believed to have been with the backing of the military. The resolution for vote of no confidence against Mr. Imran Khan, the Prime Minister of Islamic Republic of Pakistan, has been passed by a majority of the total membership of the National Assembly. I think he had fallen out on the military on various counts. There were governance issues, there were issues with the economy. After Imran Khan took over, everything has become very expensive. It wasn't this bad before, now it's very expensive. There is a price hike, but we should understand that Imran Khan is trying his best to get us out of this situation. Speaking up for the Taliban in Afghanistan when they came to power, then of course his relationship with the US, which was deteriorating. And then... Fast forward to May 9th last year, which has become a significant flashpoint in Pakistan's recent political history. Violence erupted on the streets following Imran Khan's arrest. Mehreen, can you remind us of what happened? He was briefly arrested at that point in another corruption case. And fury over that arrest fueled mob attacks on government buildings and military properties because a year of pent-up fury over his ouster came out. And it was, one would say, the most tangible display of public anger towards the military, which Khan supporters widely believe was behind his removal. So in the weeks that followed then, we saw dozens of top and mid-tier leaders in the PTI were arrested. Hundreds of his supporters were arrested. He associates went on the run to avoid arrest. Some of his closest aides abandoned him, left his party. Journalists considered sympathetic to him disappeared. They were held incommunicado without charges. And Khan himself, for years, he was able to command this breathless daily coverage on Pakistani media. He was practically wiped off the airwaves, right? His party Mm. could not be covered by TV channels. I understand it was banned that Pakistani media couldn't broadcast, couldn't name him, couldn't show his picture. The electronic media regulator banned coverage of his speeches. The internet would be shut off when he was addressing online rallies. There will only be elections if the establishment thinks that they have crushed PTI to the point where it is no longer capable of winning the elections. That's the only way they will hold elections. And then, you know, he was arrested in August and has since then been in jail and is now effectively out of election. So it did happen very quickly. And what has that meant for Khan's party since Pakistan, Tariqi and Saf? I mean, since he was arrested and detained, because he did quite audaciously take the military on in a way that no one had before. And now it seems that the military is seen to be meddling with party members and supporters even now. I mean, what's that looked like since he's been arrested? The PTI is facing a massive state-backed military-sanctioned crackdown. Of course, the military says it doesn't interfere in politics and the caretaker government that is overseeing elections says that it doesn't have any favorites. Once the election process was announced, people had to find nomination papers and the election tribunals would keep rejecting nomination papers of PTI candidates. Then the PTI got stripped of its iconic bat symbol that is associated with Khan because he was the cricketing hero. What that has meant is that hundreds of PTI candidates must run as independent candidates using distinct symbols, which significantly diminishes their prospects in the elections. Over 40% of people are illiterate. And so symbols that appear on ballot papers play a crucial role for voters during elections in identifying who to vote for. 
they have constantly complained that they have not received permission to hold rallies you have internet disruptions every time they hold online events pti candidates are saying that their posters they put them up and they wake up the next morning and they've disappeared or they've been ripped up pti supporters say that if they put the pti flag on the house plain clothes officers show up to intimidate and harass them the most important is the most of the leadership is in hiding it is actually being arrested our political leaders and supporter are actually being harassed whosoever actually comes and supports pti he is someone i know personally who's not a politician but a businessman from punjab he let a pti candidate hold a press conference at his house and after that he was picked up by intelligence agencies and the fear of god was put in him so there is an atmosphere of fear after these three latest convictions for khan for example we were thinking that there would be people on the streets there was no noise at all which is i think really important because it tells you that even after the election if there's widespread rigging or there's open manipulation and the doors of polling booths are closed and people are not allowed to go in or you know people are suppressed or intimidated there we shouldn't be expecting major protests which is exactly what the powers that be want well in the initial period of khan's time in office support for him was more mixed but now after these tumultuous last two years despite being in prison despite his name and face being banned from being said or shown in the press he seems more popular than ever can you explain why i think it was basically his unprecedentedly defiant campaign against the military that saw people view him as someone who was willing to take on the most powerful institution in the country just to bring what he called hakiki azadi a real freedom to the people mm. to make people politically aware to you know speak up for them to have them have a voice the dead end is that the establishment has decided that whatever happens imran khan cannot come back into power and in that way they're dismantling the democracy of this country in fact they're playing with the future of this country because how do you have democracy if the party which has 70% popularity you try and eliminate that you can only do it by eliminating democracy he's also of course used social media he's used platforms like twitter and facebook as his excalibur not just to engage and motivate his young supporters but also to lead in the past systematic grassroots online voting campaigns and even now from behind jail you've seen that i think at least three times he's addressed rallies through these ai generated messages sabse pehle main us tareekhi kaabish par apni social media team ki tareef karna chahunga aap sab shayad soch rahe honge ki jail mein mera kya haal hai sabse injected into the polity this discourse that the standards of justice and politics and democracy are not what they should be mm. so i think he managed to arouse the interest of a large number of disenfranchised people a large number of people who were previously apathetic to the political process these young people who had just now come of age more than 60% of the population is below the age of 30 he sensitized them about politics and i think he was very successful and he remains very successful so i think that's also been part of his appeal In its 77-year history, Pakistan has endured four military coups. But this time, while the military are perceived to be pulling the strings of power, they're not taking direct overt control. You know, there's not another general coming in and officially taking over the country. How come? We haven't had a military coup in Pakistan since 1999. So it's been a long time now since the military has actually ruled directly. But I think that what's happened now is that the military runs Pakistan 
through this, what has come to be called the hybrid regime, where it's pretty much in control of everything that matters, whether it's foreign policy or national security or who's in government or how the economy is run without having to actually carry out a coup and deal with all the negative consequences of that, including international sanctions and whatnot. So I think that over the last years, when people ask me, do you think that the fact that we haven't had a coup in so many years has deepened democracy? I would say that it, rather than deepening democracy, it's really rather entrenched the power of the military to rule through these hybrid regimes. And then not just that, but you know, the military is in the driving seat on things like the economy. There's this special investment facilitation council that was set up of which the army chief is a key member. And now you see the army chief inaugurating mineral conferences and investment conferences. And all of this is happening now in the last few months. And I would say that that wasn't even happening a year ago. The power is very much entrenched and they rule indirectly, but very assertively and very forcefully. But I also want to say that I think one of the problems in Pakistan is that the military remains powerful because civilian politicians don't unite against its political virtues, but are rather following over themselves to curry favor with the military to get in power or stay in power. Even in his downfall, some would argue that Khan got his comeuppance, perhaps, becoming the target of the very tactics that helped bring him to power. So in a way, he's been responsible for strengthening the military as much as any other politician. And now he's paying the price. Mm. A few days before the last government dissolved parliament in August and stepped down, I went to meet a senior member from the PMLN, from Sharif's party. And, you know, we were disparring over how much ground the government had ceded to the military. And I remember asking him that, you know, you did all this because you can't win an election without the army. And he said, no, we did this because we can't get rid of Imran Khan without the army. Right. So, you know, the politicians always using the military against each other. And I think that's part of the problem. Marion, given the received wisdom that the military runs things, the country's finances, its government, its relations abroad, what has public support for the army looked like in the past and how does it look now? There's resentment against the military, of course, because Khan has a very wide spread support in Pakistan, particularly among young people. People do feel politically disenfranchised. They feel like they don't have a voice because everything has been pre-decided. So people say that the military's popularity is at an all-time low, which, by the way, according to Recent surveys by Gallup and a couple of other survey agencies is not the case. The military is still very much in the top one or two most popular institutions, apparently. So people may well be fed up with how hopeless things feel, but ultimately there's this grudging respect for the military as an institution. And so really, is it fair to say that the real winner of these elections will probably be Pakistan's army? I think that the military is definitely stronger. Khan is out of the election. They don't want to see him anywhere close to forming government. There's no chance of him being a threat in government. He's in jail. His top aides have left him, deserted him. There's a very public, very loud, very brazen taking apart of Khan's party, which no one seems to be able to stop. Not the public, not the other political parties, not the election commission, not the senior judiciary. It looks like the entire state machinery backed by the military is just involved in decimating and wiping out this one party. So yes, the military is strong and the military is winning. They're getting away with everything. Coming up, in an increasingly dangerous region, what will Pakistan's next leader have to tackle? Hold up. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Enjoying this podcast? Then we think you might love the Audio Long Read, the podcast of the Guardian Long Read column, showcasing the best long form journalism. From politics to psychology, food to technology, culture to crime, the Long Read offers great stories and big ideas. Subscribe to the Audio Long Read wherever you get your podcasts. Marine, given everything that you've said, how is Pakistan currently faring socially, economically, in terms of day-to-day living for ordinary Pakistanis? Pakistan is battling a dire economic crisis right now. We have a weak currency. Inflation is running at almost 30%. Fuel prices were increased again last week and consumers are expected to be hit with huge electricity bills this summer. Our gas bill used to be around 200 to 500 rupees per month. Now it's around 8,000 rupees. But little to no gas is being delivered. The electricity bill used to be up to 2,000 to 3,000. Now it's up to 20,000 rupees. How can a poor person pay these bills? These politicians have ruined this country. So day-to-day living for ordinary Pakistanis is definitely not a good time. People are unhappy, people are tired, people are struggling. And in the meantime, beyond this daily struggle, there is more violence and fear. On Wednesday, there were two bomb attacks in Balochistan, targeting the campaign offices of two political parties. In Pakistan, two separate bomb blasts have killed at least 24 people in the country's Balochistan province. It comes amidst an increase in violence before a general election on Thursday. 
Marine, what are the key challenges here for the country's next leader? Security, of course, is a big issue that will need to be addressed. We've seen a sharp rise in attacks by militants of all hues, whether it's religiously motivated groups like the Pakistani Taliban or separatist groups. All types of militants, their ability to strike the army and police targets has really gone up. So that's going to be a key challenge for the government, what to do about that. We have strained relations with all our neighbors currently other than China. Afghanistan, we have particularly bad ties with, but now tensions Mm. are simmering with Iran also over cross-border militancy. Just recently, both the countries carried out tit-for-tat attacks inside each other's territory. So we have that new front to look at and manage. Overnight, Pakistan launched retaliatory strikes on targets in southeastern Iran, just across their shared border. Pakistan claims it took out a number of militants, but Iran says mostly women and children. I think we also need to ensure we don't get sucked into the larger Middle East crisis, which Pakistan often does, given its relationship with both Saudi Arabia and Iran. So ultimately, what do these elections say about where Pakistan is headed and the state of its democracy? You know, people are calling these elections general's elections. Right. So what does that say about where democracy is headed? I don't know what legitimacy and credibility there can be for an exercise from which the most popular politician and a major party have been sidelined and what kind of trust people will have in whatever government then comes to power. So I think Pakistan is in a dark alley right now with most of our hard-won freedoms under threat, the people feeling politically disenfranchised and our democracy badly damaged. And finally, what about Imran Khan? I mean, his popularity has only grown since he was put in prison. The country is in somewhat disarray. Him and his wife face these lengthy sentences you've told us about. Marine, is this the end of his political career? I think if there's one pattern in Pakistan's political history, it is that political leaders and parties fall foul of the military establishment, but they invariably kind of manipulate their way back into the center stage of politics. So I think public opinion matters in Pakistan. If public opinion doesn't matter, then why did military rulers like General Ayub Khan, who ruled for over a decade, have to step down? Why did military dictator Musharraf have to step down? These are all very strong people. They had the muscle of the military and the intelligence agencies and everything at their disposal. But there came a point when public opinion forced them out. So I think that the kind of popularity that is behind Imran Khan right now, it's very potent. And to think that all of it will just fizzle out or fade away, I think that's an oversimplification. And he's a political reality in Pakistan, whether someone wants to buy it or not. There are people who would argue that the crackdown against his party might end up stiffening the PTI's spine, right? There was a time when people would say, oh, you know, he came into power with the help of the army. But Mm. now they've grown in stature. They can boast of personal steel. They can say that we're leading a more principled party that has finally withstood fire, right? Mm. So I think that all of that will work in Khan's favor. I was at an upscale marketplace in Islamabad last month and there was this person in their 40s, this development professional who did not identify as a PTI supporter, but said that, you know, the battle is no longer about Khan. This is about standing for what's right. It's about what sort of system our country should have and how it should be governed. So no, I don't think that this is the end of Khan's political career. I think he has a long and hard journey ahead of him. But I think that he will survive as so many others before him have. Marion, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
That was Marin Zara Malik, a reporter and editor based in Islamabad. To follow our coverage of the election today and more on Pakistan, head to theguardian.com forward slash world forward slash Pakistan. That's it for today. I'm Nasheen Iqbal and this episode was produced by Courtney Youssef. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.